to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Tonight we jump back into our Bible study series on answering tough questions with one of the top ones I think that's out there that people struggle with and keeps some from choosing to believe in God or having a hard time believing in God, at least the way he's presented in the Bible. And the question is, how can a loving God send people to hell? How can a loving God send people to hell? We're going to answer a number of questions along the way tonight, uh, that being the primary one, but we're going to answer a couple of questions leading up to it and the one following that. But just to kind of get jump-started here, why do people struggle with the idea of hell? What is it about the idea of hell, at least as it is presented in God's word or presented by preachers and teachers of God, what is it that causes such a struggle? It's what? It would not be a fun place to be. Yes, John? Nobody wants to go there. All right. What other thoughts do you have about why it's such a struggle? Chris? Okay, there are people that don't really believe it's real. Even some Christians or people who claim to be Christians and believe what God's word says. Okay. Amanda? Okay, because it is a very negative thing and people like to focus on the positive. Yeah, Lynn, you had your hand raised? Mm-hmm. Yeah, all the negative, the fear, the anxiety. You know, I think it's, it's it can fall in that same category of people that don't want to go to the doctor when they're sick because they're afraid of what they might find out, that if somehow we ignore the negative, it'll go away or it won't be real. And I think another factor that I think all of us realize, but nobody's put into words, is the fact that we can kind of get the idea people need to be punished when they do something wrong, but this seems a little bit extreme. The idea that somebody going through life, even somebody that's kind of good, but they just choose not to believe in God and Jesus and stuff, will go to a place of torment and punishment forever. You know, and that's led to a lot of adjustments to uh, try to justify a softening or a weakening of what the Bible presents about hell. And so we want to dig into that tonight. Yes, Vita, what did you want to say? That's Mm-hmm. That's right. You know, most people would believe that that's not where they're supposed to go. It's for other people. You know, that whole comparison game. We can always find people worse than us. <laughs> so with all these problems with the idea of hell, why do we believe in it? Probably the easiest question tonight. Because the Bible teaches it, right? You know, it's interesting. Jesus said more about hell than anybody else in the Bible. In fact, he said more about hell than he said about heaven. Um, because he doesn't want people to go there, okay? It's not because he's rejoicing in it. But we have to decide, are we going to believe what the Bible says or what our logic would seem to tell us or what makes us feel comfortable? So we want to take a look at what the Bible says about it tonight. Now, if you look at your note sheet, you see all kinds of scriptures. We're not going to read all those scriptures. That's there for you to do additional study, okay? I will quote some of those, but not near all of them. Otherwise, we will never get done, all right? But the first thing is, if we're going to talk about how could a loving God send people to hell, we need to figure out what is hell. So what is hell? How would you answer that question? It's a place of torment. What else would you say about what hell is? Separation from 
separation from God. And that's what makes hell hell. You know, if you think about the fact that God is all is the source of and actually is all that is good and wonderful, joyful, whatever, to be separated from him. Because, you know, even here on earth, people that deny God, they still experience the benefits of his presence and of the way he created the world and the people in his image and all that. But if you can imagine being totally separated from all that is good and righteous and lovely and all, all the positives, it'd be all negative, okay? How, how else would you answer that question, what is hell? Tim? You are being very theological, Tim. Very good answer. Place of eternal torment for those who do not put their faith and trust in Jesus who came to deliver them. I mean, we could just put our note sheets away and go home. Actually, that's a good definition of a hell, but it still doesn't answer how a loving God could send some people there. That's a great foundation, Tim. Yeah, Michelle, what were you going to say? It's the opposite of heaven. And heaven will be the presence of God and all that is good and wonderful without all that negative. Yeah, Chris, we'll take your comment, then we got to go on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to be talking about that, that Jesus is the way to avoid hell. Okay? I have a couple of comments here. Um, by the way, this whole Bible study is in no way going to be exhaustive. Okay? But just some basic thoughts. What is hell? Number one, hell is the place where the wicked dead go to await final judgment. These are all things that Scripture teaches. Hell is the place where the wicked dead go to await final judgment. All right? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, sleep is a euphemism for the fact that we die. When we die and we know Christ, we're in the presence of God. Mm-hmm. And that's what this is saying. Hell is the place where the wicked dead, and the reason dead is in there, because we say hell is the place where the wicked go, it makes it sound like they can go there right now. Well, they're not going there right now, they're going to go when they die. Okay, so hell is the place where the wicked dead go when they die to await final judgment. Okay, and uh, Vita mentioned about sleep. You know, Scripture uses the term sleep to refer to death. doesn't mean that people are actually sleeping. I know there are some uh, religious systems that believe in a thing called soul sleep, that when you die, you're not conscious or anything until the resurrection. But the Bible says that when we are dead, we are in the presence of Jesus. So we are conscious. And Jesus told a story, actually, about hell. And the guy in hell is conscious. It's not like, okay, you know, when we die, we don't know anything until the final day. Okay? But it is the place where the wicked did go to await final judgment. The second one is one of the first things that was said is that hell is a place of torment. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Then you've got a whole bunch of scriptures there, and those are all scriptures about hell and its description and stuff. But without getting into a lot of, uh, a lot of depth and taking a lot of time, what are some words or phrases that are used to describe hell in scripture? Whether Jesus said it, Paul said it, somebody else said it. What are some words or phrases that are used to describe hell and what it's like in Scripture? Chris, give us one. What did you say, Chris? Weeping. And it always goes with gnashing or grinding of teeth. So we'll allow those two to go. Weeping and gnashing or grinding of teeth. What did you say? A lake of fire. Actually, hell and the lake of fire are separate things. We're going to get to that in a minute. But yeah, eternally, it will be a lake of fire. And fire is used to describe hell. What other words or phrases are used to describe hell in Scripture? The what? 
Sheol, yes. Sheol is the Hebrew word that is used. Mm-hmm. What? Hades. You're getting into words now, which is good. Gehenna. Yeah, it, the Gehenna has a really interesting background being used for hell because Gehenna was actually a place outside Jerusalem. It was a place where in Israel's history, when they were not serving God, they would sacrifice their babies to, to, to idols. And whenever Israel got right with God, they said, this place is cursed. It became their garbage pit. And they put so much garbage in there and they would burn their garbage that it would constantly burn. And not only that, but if you would like turn it over, there'd be all kinds of worms. And that's why um, that when Jesus talks about hell being like Gehenna, he's talking to a place these people know about the garbage pit where they would throw all their garbage and all constant fire and all these worms. You know, so that became a description also of hell. Worms that die don't die and fire and all that kind of stuff. But that's actually where Gehenna came from because it was actual place. What other words or phrases are used about hell in scripture? What? Outer darkness, which is interesting because you talk about fire, which brings light, but then you got darkness. So I guess it's fire in the dark. I'm not mocking. I'm just saying you've got these, what seems to be a little bit of conflicting thoughts about, and there's a reason I'm pointing that out, and I'll get to that in just a minute. Norris. Huh? Same thing, darkness. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Are you sure about that? <laughs> Bob said it's a spiritual darkness, not necessarily the absence of light. Okay, I'm going to come back to that thought. That's a very important thought. So, Chris, I'll let you do another one, but you get to answer a lot of stuff. So tell me another one. Okay. All right. What I have down here is, a, I think all these have been mentioned, a place of fire and darkness, a place of weeping and grinding of teeth, a place of destruction, um, something that hasn't been mentioned, and we'll come back to this a little bit later, it's a place of varying degrees of punishment. There are several scriptures that Jesus actually said that there will be varying degrees of punishment. But let me just tell you that even though there may be varying degrees of punishment based on what you did in this life, it's still not someplace you want to go. I guarantee you that the lightest degree of punishment, whatever that means, is not something you want to go through for all eternity because it will still be torment and it will still be horrific. Um, Jesus told a story about hell in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. It's often grouped with the parables, and it's appropriate that it does so, but it's the only parable where Jesus gives a character a name, which has led many Bible scholars to say that this may not be just a parable. Jesus may be actually talking about a real live person who used to live. Okay, and it's the parable of Lazarus, who was the rich man and the beggar. And we could dig into that and talk all kinds of stuff about hell, but we don't want to spend all our time talking about hell and what it's like. We want to talk about Our question is, if it's really that bad, then how or why would a loving God send people there? But that does raise a question, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on it, but are these descriptions literal or figurative? Okay, and I'm not asking you to answer that because we don't have time to dig into a discussion of that. But that is a question that people ask. Will there be literal fire? Will there be literal worms? Will there be, you know, literal darkness? Because Bob said, well, maybe it's just spiritual darkness, not literal physical darkness. And here's the thing I think of. You know, the Bible uses a lot of figurative language, but it also uses a lot of literal language. In most cases, it's very obvious. Is it figurative or is it literal? Like when Jesus says, you know, if your hand offends you, just cut it off. You know, if it's going to cause you to sin. If your eye causes you, just pluck it out. That's obviously figurative. It's hyperbole to make a point. All right. But there's other things that are quite obvious. It's literal. Uh, this is one that people discuss, but here's my point. 
If it's not literal, and I have no problem with it being literal, literal fire, whatever, um, and, but if it's not literal, it's describing something that's probably a whole lot worse than what the literal would be. It's not a place that anybody would want to go. Okay. The third point here is this. Hell will last forever. Hell will last forever. Matthew 25, 46, Jesus said, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. There have been those, and I think out of a heart of compassion, a heart of love, and wrestling with this question of, boy, that seems like such a, uh, a cruel and unusual punishment, at least for some people, that you know, there's this idea of annihilation that maybe people will suffer for a little while, then they'll cease to exist. Um, um, I think Jehovah's Witnesses believe that. Um, and there are some Christians that believe that. But the only problem is that the exact same words that are used of eternal life are used of eternal punishment. So if the eternal punishment is not really eternal, then it would seem to indicate, is our eternal life really eternal? You know, both were, both both are described the same way. Lynn, I saw your hand up, but I wanted to finish my thought. What were you going to say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but hell will still be there. It's just going to move. <laughs> it's going to change the address. Good point, though. We're going to get to that in just a moment. It's a place. Yes. Okay. That's a good point. All right. In the sense that the hell is going to be moved to the lake of fire... Um, it's like, does it still exist within the lake of fire or does the lake of fire take its place? But it says it's going to go there. So, but the thing is, is that, you know, even Jesus talks about hell being forever and he knows it's going to be in the lake of fire. So he's just keeping things simple there. Okay. But, um, anyway, so that was the next point. Number four, hell will eventually be thrown into the lake of fire. Revelation 20, verse 16, uh, 14 says, Then death and Hades, or hell, were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. So does hell actually still exist inside the lake of fire? or not? We don't know, but I'm just saying that it's very clear in Scripture. Jesus himself says this punishment is eternal, just like the life we have is eternal. And then the fifth thing is a very important point, and that is to realize that even though there will be human beings that will end up there, unfortunately way too many, um, it was never created for that purpose. Number five, the lake of fire was originally created for the devil and his angels, and it's the final destination of all evil. Matthew 25, 41 says, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for devil, for the devil and his angels. Now, there's a lot of scriptures there you can look up that talks a lot more about hell, what it's like, how it's described, and that kind of thing. The next question, uh, we won't tend to spend a lot of time on this, but who will go to hell? What? Sinners. So we're all going there. Are you a sinner, Bert? So are you going to hell? I'm not telling you to go there. I'm asking you. You said no, but you just said sinners are going to hell. What? That's your opinion? So all of us are going to hell? You can repent and don't go to hell. Okay, so some sinners are going to hell, but not repentant sinners. Not the ones who repent. Not the ones who repent. Okay. Just wanted you to clarify, because the way you put it, we're all going there. I'm not trying to be... I mean, anyway, a little of these, okay. Michelle. The ones that aren't in the book of life. The ones that aren't in the book of life. And that is a scriptural way of describing it, you know. In Revelation, it talks about the last judgment and the people appear before God. Those that were not in the book of life, they go to hell. So the big question is, how do I get in the book of life? Yeah, Carlton. 
Okay. So. Okay. Okay. Uh, that's a good thing. There's definitely a truth there. Those who choose to ignore God, to be separate from God in this part of life will be separate from God for eternity. And that is true. But by that, I don't think you're saying this, but by that, are you saying that somebody has to deliberately mentally make a choice? I'm going to be separated from God. Okay, so it's not like they've thought it through and said, well, I have chosen. But by the way they live their life and the choices they make, they have chosen to. Yes, I just wanted to clarify that. Because otherwise it could make it sound like, well, somebody could go through life all innocent and and whatever. Yeah. Going back to what Tim said, because Tim, Tim did such a great definition there. It's those who have not chosen to put their faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, Bert was right. Sinners are going to hell and all sinners deserve to go to hell. And without Jesus, we all would go to hell. And we'll get into that a little bit more here in a minute. Yeah, go ahead, Lynn. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of different description of the people that will go there, but it really comes down to whether or not people trust in Christ. Now, that raises another question that we're not going to dig into tonight. What about people who have never heard about Jesus? That's the next question we're going to deal with in two weeks, okay? On your note sheet, I have this. Those who do not trust in Christ for salvation will go to hell, which is all sinners who don't repent, as Bert said, who don't, you know, the Bible always puts it, repent and believe, repent and believe, repent and believe, repent and believe. It's all through the Old Testament. John the Baptist, Jesus, Peter, Paul, they all preach that same thing. It's the gospel. We, re- we realize we're sinners. We repent of that. But yet we put our faith in Christ, okay? Um, Romans 6.23, we all could quote it. For the wages of sin is death. And it's talking about not just physical death, but spiritual death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If we've received that gift, and we do that by repenting and believing and putting our trust in him, then we will have eternal life. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then another passage that everybody knows, but a lot of times people don't take far enough to get the full context, is John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. A lot of times people stop right there and they say Jesus didn't come to condemn people. And he didn't. When he came to earth, he came to save them. But it's not because they aren't condemned. It's because they already are. Okay? He didn't come to condemn them. He didn't need to. They already were. That's what the next verse says. It says that he did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Jesus didn't come to condemn people because they were already under condemnation. He came to get them out of it. And he accomplished it through his death on the cross. Okay? The second thing on your note sheet, we're not going to discuss now because we're going to discuss it later. Those who go to hell go there because of their own choices or choice. Okay? They go because of their own choice. Um, there's a, there's a, there's a built-in fault to this question that we're going to deal with now. How can a loving God send people to hell? God doesn't send anybody to hell. Okay? in the sense of they have nothing to say about it, nothing to do with it, or anything like that, or it might be against their will. 
They go as a result of their own choices, as Carlton has already said um, very, very well. You know, we got, and, and this, this thing of this loving God. We apply, people, some people, maybe not us, but there are some people that apply a definition of love to God that we don't even apply to ourselves. When they say, how could a loving God, doesn't God love everyone? God loves everyone. That's why he doesn't want anybody to go to hell. Okay, but they apply a definition of love to God as if it's like, uh, this love would never hurt a, fr- a fly. You, you've heard that fr- phrase before, right? Um, that it's non-confrontational, that it's tolerant of everything and everybody. You know, Jesus loved everybody. God loves everybody. So he could never send anybody. But I want to tell you something. That is not a realistic view of real love. Okay? The first thing on your note sheet on this, how a loving God can send people, how can a loving God send people to hell? Number one, perfect love requires hatred. That sounds weird. Perfect love requires hatred of that which harms the one loved. The more you love someone, the more you will hate certain things. What are some things that we will hate if we really love people? What? Anything or anyone that will harm them. Okay? There are things that because of his love, God hates, which is basically any evil or any sin. But, you know, you think of the most horrific things that people can do in this life. You know, we were laughing a little while ago, but this is more serious. To sexually abuse a child. To sell someone into sexual slavery. To torture somebody. To murder somebody. To, out of anger and hatred, do horrific things. God hates that because he loves so much. You know, you've experienced this. Whoever you love, a spouse, a child, the more you love them, the more you hurt when they're hurt. Yeah, bullying. I mean, we could make a long list of things that true love hates. Now, don't turn that into a bumper sticker. People won't understand it. You know, true love hates. Come to Mary Oaks and Assembly God. People will totally misunderstand that, okay? Um, but true love does hate. It hates all that is evil. It hates all that is wrong. It hates all that is wicked. It hates all that hurts those that we love. And God is the same way, okay? Perfect goodness hates all that is evil. But we people often use this thing of, well, God is love, and he is love. It's not just that he loves, but he is love, John tells us. But that's not the only characteristic of God. Okay? The second thing on there, God is not only loving, but he is perfectly just. What does just or justice mean? Okay, it involves hating evil, but it takes it a bit step further. What What is justice, Michelle? He tells the truth. That's part of it, too. Mm-hmm. Okay. What are the thoughts about what justice is? Justice is setting something right. Great. Uh, uh, there's a lot of definitions on in the dictionary or on the web. The condition of being morally correct or fair. Doing what is right. Setting something right. That's the way our court systems should work. They don't always work because there are imperfect people involved in it and people can have lots of different motivations and affected. But, but that's what is supposed to be behind our court system to set things right. Okay? And so God is not only loving, but he's also perfectly just. And you've got that, that balance. And that's what, that's what brought about the cross. Because of God's justice, he had to punish sin. But because of his love... He didn't want his people to have to pay the price for it. So 
Jesus took care of it. Jesus was punished for our sin. He paid the price. That's why it's those who don't put their trust in Christ that will end up being in hell, which is God's justice. Uh, number, uh, number three, I kind of jumped ahead of myself. Justice requires the consequences for evil. Justice requires consequences for evil. You know, we say, some people would say, well, how could God send people to hell? He's a loving God or whatever. But can you imagine if you would go into a courtroom and, and, and you have a vested interest in this particular case because you had a loved one that was murdered by the guy that's on trial and the judge says, well, you know what? I'm trying to be more like God. I just want to love everybody. So I'm just going to let him go. How would you feel about that? Uh, no. Glad you love him. Glad God loves him. I hope he gets saved. But he needs to experience the consequences of his actions. And so God is all loving. God is love. But God is also just. And in his justice, there are consequences for evil. And number four, we can believe it about other people, but we don't like to believe it about ourselves. And that is this. Because of sin, everyone deserves hell. You know, I don't care how good a person is. Because God is perfectly holy and righteous, and sin is basically telling God, forget you, I'm doing my own thing. We all deserve to be separated from God, because that's basically what we're saying. God, (laughs) get away. I want to do my own thing. And as was said earlier, that's basically what hell is. God says, you got it for all eternity. It's just that I'm not going to be around anymore. You know, I don't mean literally God's omnipresent, but I'm just saying, you know, all the goodness you're experiencing in this world because my presence is here, my people are here and all that kind of stuff. That's fine. You want to go your own way. That's your choice. That's what we're going to spend eternity. Okay. Um, A lot of people put it this way. How can a perfectly just and holy God not punish evil? I like this quote from by Randy Alcorn in his book called Heaven. He says, we don't want to believe that others deserve eternal punishment because if they do, so do we. But if we understand God's nature and ours, we would be shocked not that some people could go to hell, where else would sinners go, but that any would be permitted into heaven. You know, we see people like um, Adolf Hitler, Saddam Hussein. It's like, yeah, I could see why God would send them to hell and it could be forever, but... But what about so-and-so over here? Or what about this person over there? They're not near that bad. But compared to God's holiness and righteousness and our rejection of that, if we do. And so that raises the question, isn't this overkill? Isn't this punishment too severe? Well, we're going to deal with that in the last question in just a couple minutes, okay? But number five, we've already talked about this, but just to get it filled out on your note sheet here, because God is gracious, merciful, and loving, he provided a way for people to avoid hell through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's what the cross is all about. He paid the price for our sins. And the only way our sins can be paid for is if we put our faith, hope, and trust in him and what he did. And so that leads to number six. People choose to not accept God's provision for salvation and escape from hell. Whereas those who go to hell go there because of their own choice or their own Choices. God does not send them. They just make the choice not to respond. If you could imagine a person 150 miles, let's make it a thousand miles so there's no possibility. A thousand miles out in the ocean, they're drowning. And a boat comes by and tries to rescue them. They throw them a live buoy. They say, no, no, I want to do it on my own. 
They throw them a rope. No, 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 I want to do it on my own. Somebody jumps in to try to help them. They push them away. They send a boat. I say, climb it. No, I'm going to do this on my own. You know, it's such a ludicrous, ludicrous illustration. But yet people who reject what God has done, that's basically what they're saying. I want to do my life without God. God's the only solution. God's the only way to have our sins forgiven. And they're saying, nope, don't want you, God. Don't want you, God. Rejecting everything that God has done through Jesus Christ. The Bible makes it clear the greatest sin is to choose not to believe in Jesus Christ. That's what John 3, 16 through 19, we read it earlier, is all about. Uh, chapter 16, verses 8 to 9. Men and women choose to reject God and all his goodness. I want to read you four quotes that really, I think, are, are, are great about wording this well. Billy Graham said it this way. God will never send anybody to hell. If man goes to hell, he goes by his own free choice. Hell was created for the devil and his angels, not for man. God never meant that man should go there. Dante Alighieri, um, he was a great classical writer. I've never read any of his works, but he's the one that wrote Inferno and uh, Dante's Inferno and stuff, writing about hell and stuff. He's, he's a believer. He says, if you insist on having your own way, you will get it. Hell is the enjoyment of your own way forever. C.S. Lewis said something like this. I think this is a paraphrase, not an exact quote. He says, sin is a human being saying to God throughout life, go away and leave me alone. In hell is God's answer. You may have your wish. And then um, I like this quote. I got it off of a website and I forgot to write the author's name down. By the way, if you want to do more research on it, just type this question into your browser and all kinds of articles will come up. Just make sure you choose Christian ones to get your answers wrong. Okay. But anyway, uh, it should be pretty But this one, I like this. People may not deliberately choose to go to hell. That's why I asked Clayton um, Carlton about what he said earlier. People may not deliberately choose to go to hell, but they choose the road that takes them there. Yeah, Tim, you had your hand up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. God is fully just, and he will uphold the, the judgment upon sin. But Jesus paid it for us if we'll trust in that. If we say, nope, I don't want to do it Jesus' way, I'll do it my own way. Well, that's what's going to happen. It's not sufficient. So that leads to the last question that I've already alluded to. Why such a terrible punishment? It's like, okay... Yeah, okay, sin needs to be punished. And maybe people like Adolf Hitler, Saddam Hussein, they deserve to suffer for a long time, maybe even forever. But what about people that aren't near that bad? Why? Why would God make people, allow people to suffer forever when they weren't really all that bad, at least in our eyes? I mean, does the punishment really fit the crime? That's why there are many people, not many, there are some people who believe in annihilation and they try to justify it with certain scriptures that, you know, after a period of time, then people will just cease to exist. It won't be eternal or whatever. Um, and this is something we, we will wrestle with and, and that kind of stuff. We may not get a total satisfactory settlement of an answer to this question, but there are some principles we see in scripture that um, uh, maybe clarify this a little bit. Uh, the first one is this. God places such value on humans, he created us to have eternal existence. And since he created us to have eternal existence, we're going to have eternal existence. It'll be either in the presence of God or outside of it. But that just shows how much God values us. Okay? Uh, the second one that might help a little bit, and then we mentioned it before, in hell there will be various degrees of punishment. Um, God is just. He will not punish everybody at the same level. But as I said earlier, I don't care what level you're at. You don't want to be there. 
It's still eternal. It's still apart from all that is good and righteous and holy. It still is torment. Okay? Yeah, Linda, do you want to make a comment? Well, all I know is that Jesus said that there are degrees of punishment in hell. Uh, Matthew 11, 20 to 22, Luke 12, 42 to 48, Romans 2, 5 to 7, all deal with the aspect that there are different degrees of punishment in there. Okay? It's the same way that when we're saved, we're going to go to heaven, but there's going to be degrees of reward. You were going to say that, Vita? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's part of his justice also is the degree of reward. You know, all it takes to get into heaven is to turn your life over to Christ and repent based on what he's done. But our experience of heaven will be based on what we do for him in this life. I mean, Jesus taught all kinds of parables about that. You know, the parable of the talents, the parable of the minors. When you take what God has given you and you use it for the kingdom of God, some will get more. You know, Paul even said there's going to be some, to use a paraphrase, Paul says that for some people, there's going to be people that get into heaven by the skin of their teeth. <laughs> you know, just because I repented and trusted, that's it. There's going to be no rewards. Being in heaven is, hey, is, you know, some people might say, man, I, I'll just be glad to make it to heaven. Well, that's that's true, better than the other place. I don't know about you, but I want to do what Jesus says and store up my treasure there. You know, um, so anyway, let me I know I see other hands, but we got to get through this thing. So um, this thing, I don't know if you ever thought about this. Um, number three, the punishment for wrongdoing is based upon who the wrong was done to. And this is something we will not fully understand. I don't even think we may even when we get into heaven, because I don't think we'll ever fully understand God and all his essence and his holiness and his righteousness. You know, it's one thing if we sin against another person. It's another thing you sin against God. Let me put it in some human perspectives and maybe help you understand this, okay? It's like the difference between slapping your brother or slapping your mother. Okay? Can you imagine sitting at the family table, having a discussion, okay? And, and I don't know what your family's like, but your dad really loves your mom. And he's taught you, you gotta respect your mom. And you and your brother get into a fight and you smack him. You will probably get disciplined. But not like if you turn around and haul off and smack your mother. Okay, now that's, that's, that's just a, a little illustration. Okay, but I mean the difference between a human being and God himself. Our sins are against God. I mean it'd be the difference between um, punching out a fellow worker and punching out the President of the United States. The consequences are going to be a whole lot different. Okay, and that's on such a small scale compared to a human being versus God. Yeah, Vita, you can make a comment real quick because we're getting close to the end. Yeah, when the young people are when the what? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 The last thing on your note sheet here. Now, this is speculation. I'm very, very quick to tell you this is what Scripture says. But then this is this principle that seems to indicate. So this is one of those things we won't know till we get to heaven. But based on things that will happen in the last days, number four, Scripture seems to indicate that people will continue to sin and rebel against God even in hell. Say, so where do you get that from? During the tribulation, when God sends his judgment, a lot of people, they don't repent. They're in pain and they continue to curse and rebel against God. 
Revelation 16, 10 to 11, the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. If, I mean, human nature is human nature. If this is the way they're going to act, people act in the tribulation when they have opportunity to repent if they want to. There's a very good chance it's going to be the same way in hell. That in hell, even in their torment, they will still continue to curse, rebel against, and reject God, which would then be more foundation for an eternal punishment. Okay? Again, that one is not one that you can, other than the example you see during the tribulation while they're still alive, that you can quote and say, well, in hell they'll do this. But yet human nature is human nature, so it's a possibility. So how do we respond to this? Two, two main things, because it's time to go. I know you guys have a lot more questions, a lot more comments. Wish we could take them all. I try to be balanced about who I called on and the number of times and that kind of thing. But what should this do for us? Two things. Number one, we need to thank God for his grace and for what Jesus did for us on the cross. Because without Jesus, we all deserve to go to hell. We don't like to believe that. We'd like to think we're a better person than that. But we deserve to be separated from God. But the second thing is, and I prayed it in the prayer tonight, Lord, use our Bible study tonight to give us a greater burden and passion to reach out to people that are lost. Because without Jesus, they're headed to hell. Again, I'll mention this one time and then we'll go on. That raises the question, well, what about people who haven't heard about Jesus? We'll deal with that as our next question in two weeks. What about people who have never heard about Jesus? Do they have any chance? How, how does that work? Okay. Let me read one more quote, and then we're going to close in prayer. And if you had something really important you wanted to say or ask, and there was an opportunity, I apologize. You can say it to me or ask me afterwards or to somebody else. I did not ignore you on purpose. Um, last quote. Again, Randy Alcorn in his book on heaven. By the way, Randy Alcorn writes great books, and he's got a great book on heaven, and it includes hell. But it says, Earth is an in-between world touched by both heaven and hell. Earth leads directly into heaven or directly into hell. Affording a choice between the two. The best of life on earth is a glimpse of heaven. The worst of life on earth is a glimpse of hell. For Christians, this present life is the closest they'll ever come to hell. For unbelievers, it's the closest they will ever come to heaven. So may God give us a greater burden. Now, we can't save them. The Holy Spirit has to do the work inside them, but we have a responsibility to love them and to share the gospel to the best of our ability. So may God help us to do that, even though it can be scary and that kind of stuff. God wants to use us to reach other people. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that we've had to look at this very difficult topic. And Lord, it's a very important question. It really trips a lot of people up. And there may still be even an unsettledness in us, even though we profess our faith and we have a faith in Jesus Christ and in you and your word. We believe your word. We believe it's true. But Lord, it's still kind of hard for us to really grasp. I mean, if it was up for us, up to us, we probably wouldn't say, yeah, evil's got to be punished. But really, God, that much forever. But God, we trust you. God, I think one of the reasons we may feel that way is because we don't have a full understanding and glimpse of your true holiness and righteousness. And what our sin is a statement of uh, in rebellion against you. But God, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for his death on the cross, that he was willing to go through that for us so we could be forgiven of our sins, that he paid the price that justice demands of us. Thank you, Lord. May we always rejoice in that and be grateful and thankful. But God, I pray that you would use this also to stir our hearts, to have a greater passion and burden for those that don't know you, 
Lord, there will be people that will just keep rejecting you. There always have been, there always will be. Unfortunately, the Bible indicates there's going to be quite a few of them. But God, I pray that nobody would make it past our influence without at least having something to point them direction uh, in the direction of Jesus Christ and the hope that we can have in him. God, we give you the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.